0: So for those of you listening, if you're not new here, you know that we love leaning into some of the brain science behind how things work and why they work that way and why we do things. And I'm so excited to be talking about that today in the context of branding. I am so excited for this conversation because it is new to me. Um, I love the brain science stuff, but I haven't seen it applied to branding in this way ever before. So we're going to dive right in. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and you're listening to the Small Nonprofit Podcast, where we bring you practical, down-to-earth advice on how to get more done for your small nonprofit. You are going to change the world, and we're here to help. So today's guest is Madnobe Koe Wangu, who is um, a brand scientist. And like in the true meaning of brand scientist with her company, Nobe Works, she helps organizations understand the brain science uh, behind their brands so that they can build powerful brands and connect with their audiences. Um, It's her personal mission to get you better seen, heard, and respected on your terms. So Chloe, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so flattered to be here. By the way, folks, if you don't know what a genius Cindy is, like actually a genius <laughs> when we first talked and you were like I'm into the brain stuff too and just listening to you I was like oh my goodness oh, She's no. so I'm in <laughs> love oh. <laughs> brilliant I'm honestly so flattered that you have you're having me on it
0: is it is truly my pleasure and like I said I think you're doing things in this space that no one else is and that our sector needs. So I'd love, I'd love actually, before we dive into the nitty gritty, I'd love to know a little bit about how you came to blend the, the science and the branding, which most people don't think of as a scientific process. (laughs) Um, How did you end up here?
1: Yeah. So that's a really good question. Um, So I will say that for one, my, my, background is not in brands right like that's not what i went to school for um in fact my masters is in international conflict resolution and mediation yeah. okay and so that is translated that's um that's know, called
0: social- organizational redesign or exactly. rebranding
1: <laughs> right and so so basically i was trained to use social psychology and you know, the art of negotiation and strategic communication in like really high stakes situations. Um, and when I, when I, and I won't say that I got to the height of my field because that's not true by any stretch of the imagination, but I'll have to say that one, when, when I finally got into some of these rooms where it happens and I say that with air quotes, cause I'm also quoting Hamilton. <laughs> um, when I, when I finally got into some of these rooms, I realized that some of the folks in there, not the folks I was advising, of course not, but some of the folks in there were actually disappointing. (laughs) Um, And and if you think about it in sort of like a global sense, of course that makes sense, right? Because those folks are responsible for the current status quo, right? Their decision-making has led us there, right? And so when I when I realized that I had this like crisis of faith, <laughs> I was like, "Oh God, what do I do?" Um, and I realized that okay, I guess what that means is that I need to somehow start equipping more folks like you and me to be in those rooms, so that when decisions are made. The status quo stands a chance of being shifted. And so that was sort of like the beginning of that particular journey for me. And I, folks, nonprofit, but like you all know this, if you're the young, like even remotely technologically inclined person working at a nonprofit, which I was basically my entire career, um, you're always asked to do the stuff that has to do with social media, with visuals, with tech with marketing like that stuff is always just sort of like cuz you're the young one you can figure it out right and so really from the time that i was in undergrad all the way through sort of my international work and career um i was doing that stuff um i was i was i was in this like weird pseudo world where like we had to communicate things visually and then with and verbally and all of this stuff right and so Eventually, when I started looking for my avenue, right, like, what tool am I going to use to equip more and more folks like us to get into these rooms, I realized, oh, like, you've already got this skill set, right? Like, you've got this skill set. Just have people pay you for it. And so that sort of began my journey. And so the science comes in because I didn't go to school for it, right? So I didn't know how people were making these design choices. Mm. And so I started digging deeply into what would make a design choice smart in a specific situation, and that's sort of how, like, this whole thing was born. Um, and so, like, now now I do less execution, right? Like, I don't necessarily do the, the the design work necessarily myself anymore. But because I have this framework in my head about what makes certain choices smart when it comes to communicating because of, like, the science stuff, Um now I can advise on that, like, really um, convincingly. So, so that is, like, the very long tale of how this came to be.
0: <laughs> I love that. And I'd love to I just all of it. Um, but tell us a little bit about, like, I want to start with what it's not or mm-hmm. what mistakes you see happen when it comes to branding, <laughs> when we ignore the science. So like, yeah. what's, yeah, I, I, I will tell you as a fundraiser, I've heard a lot of people say, well, we can't fundraise yet because we need to rebrand. Mm. Right. Mm. I'm like, do we though? Do you know? What does that even mean to you? And <laughs> so let's yeah. talk about let's start there.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. So this is I can be on this particular soapbox for a, a thousand years. Um <laughs> so when folks okay, first to even address like the very specific thing cuz I know that this is something that is wrong around the world in nonprofits everywhere, right? The oh, we can't fundraise because we need to rebrand. Here's the thing, right? Sometimes the wiser choice is to not Mm rebrand. And this is why I'm going to go and define some terms first, and then I'm going to come back to this point. Okay. So, so when, when we are talking about what a brand is from a scientific perspective, a brand is simply a system of ideas that influences the behavior of others. And I'll say that again. It's a system of ideas that influences the behavior of others. And I mean, I found in a lot of um, brand and branding and brand strategy canon, folks have like, we have as many different definitions for a brand as there are people to give them, right? Um, The reason I like this particular definition is because it's measurable, Mm. Um, and it's it's something that we can observe and test for in a way that a lot of these other definitions are not. Um, now, <laughs> what does that mean for what your branding is, right? So from a scientific perspective, I simply define branding as brand assets that are memorable. Now, how do we get there from <laughs> the definition of a brand? Well, If something, science, just with the way that the brain works, right? If something is going to affect the behavior of others, at the very least, at the very minimum, it has to be memorable. Mm -hmm. It has to be stored in long-term memory so that it can be retrieved at some point when someone is making a decision. So the job that your branding is meant to do it's, is, it's meant to capture attention, right? Because that's how the memory process starts. And then it's meant to be stored within the right part of your memories, your memory network. That's it. That's its job. And when we start adding other things into it or asking it to do other jobs, that's when stuff gets messy. So mm-hmm. when I hear folks saying, hey... <laughs> we can't fundraise because we need to rebrand. In my head, I'm like, okay, is that contributing to the memorability of your brand and the work that you do? Because if it's not, then the the wise decision is not to do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's sort of like the the, 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 the science right like that's what the science is is telling me um and that's how I would respond if somebody said that I'm like do we
0: need to no I know (laughs) I don't know I think you just want to spend time on other things other than fundraising on that one yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) so we we want to be memorable Mm. and we want to develop those assets that are memorable Mm -hmm. How, like how do we get started yeah um i mean i even want to ask what are the assets because very <laughs> often we think or i think of i think most people there you say brand you think okay brand guidelines so font and color and um graphics and things like that yeah. but Tell me more. Is that right?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So that's, I would say that that is partially right. Like that's included, right? A brand's branding is really anything that can serve as a memory anchor Mm. for that brand. Right. And so And that just brings us back to the idea of memorability, right? And and attentional capture, right? If it captures attention, it stands a chance of getting past the brain's filters, which means it stands a chance of getting sorted into the right part of the memory network. Um, And once it does that, it can serve, like I said, as a memory anchor so that when people are making decisions about who to vote for, who to donate to, who to support, who to buy from... You stand a chance of being on that short list of people that they're considering or their consideration set, mm-hmm. right? So, so yeah, your graphics, your colors, your type, your typography, all of those things definitely count as part of your branding. Um, but, you know, so do, so do the, the, so does the structure of your website? So does um your messaging. So does your the jingle that is connected <laughs> to, you know, like there's so many things. I need
0: a jingle. We, we all jingle.
1: need a jingle. And can I just say this is like one of my favorite nerdy things, but just that when it comes to um brand assets that are really underutilized. And like, I see folks are moving more and more into jingles are one of them. There's
0: totally. Okay. Tell us why, why I feel like I read a book at some point talking about audio um, cues or audio memory Mm -hmm. and that it is. And like, honestly, okay. So I'm in Toronto uh, and I, there are like jingles that we all remember. Mm -hmm. And Talk to us about what, do we all (laughs) need
1: I never thought about that, but I love it. Oh my gosh. So like real talk, we might, I don't know. (laughs) But I say that with like, I say that tongue in cheek just because the reason that um, sort of the audio modality is so effective is largely because it's so underutilized, right? Mm. So like the, the moment that it starts being quite, like it starts being super crowded, its effectiveness might might, and I say this like with a might because you know I I haven't read many many exper- experiments on this, but um, might start to wane. Um, but right now, it's not a super crowded um, economy. Maybe I'll say so. Like I'll say I'll say, and this is another thing, folks. Folks should sort of keep in mind the attention economy, mm. right? This is this is this is what ultimately your, this is, this is sort of like the job that your branding is doing, right? Like, sure, we can talk about all of this abstract stuff and this science stuff, right? When it comes to memory and all of this, right? And like, these are good, you know, heuristics and things to understand. But when, when we sort of come down to it and we bring it down to like more mundane stuff, what, what I'm seeing is that your branding is a, is an asset for your brand that can buy attention right mm. like that's that's what it does it buys attention and so an attention is something <laughs> that everyone needs um, and we have less and less of right exactly that, yeah. that's exactly it right like the attention economy as folks in you know our field call it um, is growing more and more crowded mm. and it's never been as crowded ever in the history of the world. It's never been as crowded as it is now. And that's just growing exponentially day by day. Yeah. So so for folks who are sort of unfamiliar with this term, when I say the attention economy, I literally mean all of the things that are being thrown at you, be it content, um, gosh, be it sights, smells, sounds, the news, like all of the things that you perceive with your human senses. Those are things that are within the attention economy and they are vying for your attention. They are Mm -hmm. trying to buy attention from you and your resources when it comes to attention are increasingly limited. Um, And so, so, so this is really what your branding is doing, that if it's effective and it's doing its job, the reason it's so important for it to be stored in long-term memory is because what that means is that it is succeeded in its bid for attention from this particular intended audience. Right. Um, So, yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So there's a few things I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about heuristics because you brought it up and I just love that. Um, But also um, repetition. And maybe Mm. that is because I feel like my understanding of the brain and, and memory is repetition is a big piece of it.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: But I also want to start with a little bit of like, you know, some of those assets that we think of, You know, very often people just think, okay, I like that. Yeah. I like Ugh. that. And <laughs> when it comes to the science behind those decisions, yeah. I feel like that's the thing that we're missing in the, in the yeah. conversations around brand. So yeah. Let's start with that because I do think that um, maybe even give us some examples of some insights that we can apply to our brands or brand experience or trying to capture people's attention that might go against our um, instincts
1: or preferences. And and, and (laughs) folks probably heard me grown because like that's one of the the things that I've I've definitely heard this before where oh I like these colors let's say so like let's go with that. No, please, oh my goodness, please don't do that. Please, I beg of you. Um so so here's here's what you want to do, right? And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that preference isn't important what is important is looking at the right mix of preference right so so the first thing that you want to do is sort of look at the field of stakeholders that are important to the success of your endeavor right? Um, this can mean the folks that you want to donate to you. This can mean the folks who are on your board. This can mean the folks who serve in some sort of gatekeeping capacity, right? This can mean the folks who work at your organization, the folks who are at the top, the fo- you know, like this, all of this, right? You want to look at those folks and you want to understand what makes them tick, what motivates them, right? And while you're doing that, you're going to sort of naturally get an understanding of what their own particular, how do I put this? Their own particular worldview looks like maybe. And and I mean that, I mean that, I do mean that metaphorically, but I also mean that literally, right? Like you're going to get a pretty good idea of what they're seeing every day. And that's the piece of information that's really key when it comes to making these design choices you want to understand what it is that they're seeing every day, not just in your field. Right. But just like generally what they're seeing every day, because that then allows you to figure out how to distinguish yourself from Mm. that field of stuff. Right. And, and this analysis does get pretty deep, right. Because you want to look at, for example, um, so what's, what's a good example that I can give that can help make this sort of concrete? So, okay. I was working with a client who had, um, the collection of stakeholders that they are working with. So generally they would be looking at, um, like the Atlantic and the New York times and like these very particular, um, podcasts, um, and Friedman, I think was someone that came up and like, you know, stuff like that, right? Like they're, this was the stuff that was sort of in their worldview. And what you get to do then is say, okay, great. What are they using these different sources for, right? Like how do they see the Atlantic? How do they see the New York Times? How do they see Anne Friedman? What are the associations that they have with each of these things? And when you do that, you can sort of start to pick up on patterns mm. of if we're gonna, if we're going to just choose color as like a simple modality, right? what associations they have with this color, what associations they have with this tone, right? That you start to see patterns in that. And that's why collecting a bunch of information, a bunch of data is super helpful because you can see false patterns if you don't have enough of the information, Mm. right? So what I'm talking about is like, the lowest form, perhaps, of, of semiotic analysis. And my mentor, Rachel Laws, will be like, Chloe, don't let them think <laughs> that this is all that semiotics is. But but yes, this is sort of like the, the lowest form of semiotic analysis. So what you do is you find out what their personal associations are with this. You start to pick up on the patterns And then what that does is that gives you a field of options. I know folks can't see my hands, but like a field of options within which, like, if you pick stuff from here, stuff will kind of be right, Mm. right? And then the next step is then to find out, okay, so from this field of options, now we can look at our industry, right? Now, now we can say, okay, how do we be industry aware, but distinct. What choices are going to make us look like we generally belong, but also be distinct enough that when someone is like rushing through the field, they'll like, oh, they'll just pick up on. Right. So that's very, very generally <laughs> what that process might look like for one specific modality, like color. Right. Yeah. Um so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's, super, that's
0: yeah. That's really helpful cuz it's it's the process. Again, it's not that like, oh, this this is cool. It makes me feel a certain way. Right. It's about how does it make our community feel? Exactly. And what yeah, I really think that that's um super powerful. So, let's talk a little bit about the heuristics and the um cognitive biases i think is a term that people might know a little bit more than heuristics yes my but favorite yeah these are basically <laughs> like pa- patterns to the shortcuts our brains make right so yeah which yeah let's talk about that and then we'll come to repetition which i think is somewhat linked but um yes. there are like there are you know a couple hundred types of short patterns, to these shortcuts, our brains make Absolutely. where it's, um, you know, if Oh, who's the writer Malcolm Gladwell with blank or things like that. Like that mm-hmm. is not that, that process where we have a gut response. Exactly. Um, how does that play into the branding process?
1: Ooh, I'm so glad you asked. This is one of my favorite parts of the work that I do. So So part of the work that I do is to not only advise on, you know, look and feel and internal coherence of of a brand and a branding system, right? But it's also to ensure that whoever works with me is as positioned as possible to impact thousands millions to shape the future, right? Because Mm -hmm. we come back to like my initial crisis of faith. That's why I got into this (laughs) mess in the first place, right? Because I'm trying to get as many folks as possible who are like you and me into these rooms where it happens. So the status quo will get pushed, right? And so the way that I have addressed that is by adding behavioral design to the work that i do and for those who aren't familiar with behavioral design essentially it's just it's encouraging behaviors Mm -hmm. right by by putting structures in place and and so the way very concretely what this looks like with some of my clients right for example is um especially the folks who are underestimated right is we will look at, let's say, a gatekeeper, right? Somebody whom they might need to get around or through to get to like the next phase of the plan that we have for them, right? And we'll say, okay, great. What uncomfortably specific behavior would this person or this particular kind of stakeholder need to do or make In order for us to get closer to where you're trying to go. And I use that term uncomfortably specific because I'm I'm quoting my, um, my behavioral design and behavioral science mentor, uh, Kristen Berman, who's a genius. Um, And, and once we have what that uncomfortably specific behavior is, and once we understand like where they currently are, then all that's left to do is something that in my field we call a behavioral diagnostic. So we just figure out, okay, what are the steps that this kind of stakeholder usually takes between where they are now and the kind of behavior that we would like to see from them. And then we look at all of those steps and we say, okay, what are the cognitive biases that are in the way? What's the friction? Mm. Like, what, what is the cognitive friction that's standing between this person and behaving in this way? And like you said, there are over 200 of these.
0: <laughs> Let's do like one example of, maybe give us some, some recent example, just so it's very um, specific. I mean, one of the things, one of the phrases I've heard to describe this is choice architecture.
1: Yes, absolutely. I love,
0: I just think yes. that that's such a perfect, like you are creating the environment or the exactly. arch- you're, you're the architect in getting someone to make the choice that you want them to make.
1: Exactly. So, that's exactly right.
0: <laughs> give us an example of how this fits in to, um, to the branding process. Or, I mean, I imagine it comes up a lot in where fundraising and branding intersect, or yeah. websites or things like that. So Perhaps,
1: like all of yeah. these things, I could talk for days about the ways in which this is super helpful for structuring your websites. Right. Like I could talk about that for days. <laughs> um, but I will, I will give, so I'll give a recent example that I've had. Um, I have with a client, this client um, is um, their work is more in sort of the climate Space, right? And um one of the gatekeepers that um sort of they need to maneuver with or around or together with um are journalists, right? Mm-hmm. And journalists at certain publications, like okay, so so this, the the uncomfortably specific behavior that we sort of said this would be great if we could get them to this place is that this particular journalist would be writing about this organization four times a year, Mm. right? So I'm talking uncomfortably specific, four times a year in sections of this publication that people actually read, right? That was like the um, uncomfortably specific key behavior that we determined. And one of the one of the cognitive biases that we needed to keep an eye out for, and this actually allows me to talk about a point that I was, I was thinking about mentioning, but one of the, one of the cognitive biases was risk aversion, mm-hmm. right? And, and for the uninitiated risk aversion is, is simply, you know, like if this move seems risky, like I might lose something or um might lose standing or, might, you know, like, might lose something. Yeah. Then if it seems risky, then I'm less likely to take it. I'm kind of squeamish. I'm like, I don't know. Right. Like I will, I will avoid it if I can. Right. And so we found that lots, one of the the key blocks for this particular gatekeeper this particular stakeholder was a real sense of risk aversion mm-hmm. right that for all that they might internally and this was not always the case but for all the fact for all that they might internally be very on board with the the mission of this organization that doesn't mean that the rest of the folks around them in their organization are it doesn't mean that their editor who they're pitching this piece to is yeah. right And so we had to figure out a way to address their risk aversion, to make it safe for them to partner with us to get these stories into some of these publications, right? And so so that's just like one very hyper-specific example. And the way that that contributes, like the way that that is part of the branding process is that these stories, right, are part of this organization's branding right because they are something that can serve as a memory anchor they are a memorable if they're done correctly they're a memorable brand asset right and so and so we would not have been able to develop those particular brand assets in a way that would be effective if we had not, if we had not been aware of risk aversion.
0: Mm, yeah. So interesting. In my very limited experience with the media, um, it's, there's risk aversion. There's also a lot of social proof. Like, I don't know if you found Absolutely. that. They, oh, yes. If someone picks up a story, then like five more people are going to pick up that story. It's exactly. like someone takes the first step and then they all follow,
1: which exactly. is tied
0: to the risk aversion as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and evidently, if you, this is, (laughs) I might be getting a little far afield here, but, um, one of my new loves is network science. And, um, evidently when you, um, when you look at the average tipping point, when it comes to like behavior change at scale, there's actually a numerical value (laughs) for that, according to network science. Um, I think um, Damon Santola, who's like one of the leading minds in this field, uh, scoped it out at 25%. But what you're talking about is true, right? Like one person has to overcome, or we have to help that one person overcome that risk aversion, right? And then the more and more people in like similar folks' network that are making that decision or doing that thing, the more that they sort of feel safe to do so. And then all of a sudden you reach that tipping point and there's an avalanche, right? Yeah.
0: And like, even using like featured in this publication lets other people know it's that social proof. That's again, like a shortcut, like, Oh, okay. They're legit. Um, okay. <laughs> we can talk forever. Um, we do need to wrap up soon, but I want to talk about repetition because I actually yeah. do think that that is such an important understanding of how our brains work to yes. memorability. Yes. So, oh my gosh, yes. tell us about that because <laughs> we're afraid to get to bother people a lot. Oh my
1: goodness! Sector. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know, I know. But how does
0: that affect our our brand?
1: So, so look, this is, this is the third definition that I will bring um, to you. And it is the definition of brand building from a scientific perspective. Mm -hmm. The definition of brand building from a scientific perspective is creating memories for people to recall. Okay. You're just creating memories for people to remember. Right. Now that necessitates that requires repetition because if you're going to keep building your brand, you need to keep making those memories. Now, here's the other thing. The the funny thing about memories (laughs) is that they can decay over time. Right. And when I say decay, I don't there's the jury is still kind of out on like what actually happens to the memory itself, but like ability to retrieve the memory. Um, gets slipperier and slipperier. Like it gets harder and harder to retrieve that particular memory unless you refresh that memory. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so refreshing people's memory of your brand through your branding consistently to the point that you are sick of it, that is, that is, that is required base work. Yeah. If you want your brand and your branding to be effective, to to do the job that you need them to do. If you are looking to have the kind of impact in the world that shapes the future, right? Repetition is required, That's it's, it's necessary. <laughs> So Boom. <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> yeah. End of
0: conversation. If you take anything away from this, <laughs> get in their face. Like repeat, yeah. repeat, repeat. Don't be afraid to connect with people over and over and over again. They yeah. that is if we go back to the definition of brand, <laughs> or the as like the assets that are memorable, right? Yeah memorable is not just like how they look, but how often we see them. Yes.
1: Queen, (laughs) queen, queen.
0: (laughs) I love it. Oh my God, Chloe, we could totally talk forever about this, but we can't. So if our (laughs) listeners want to reach out and connect with you, where can they find you?
1: Yes, absolutely. So, um, you can find me at nobyworks.com. Um, and you can also find me on LinkedIn and on Instagram, um, also <laughs> at Newbie Works. Um, if you would like to connect with me personally, also feel free to you know find me on on LinkedIn. I'm there. I like new friends. Um, and if if any of this was interesting to you, and you want to know more about what this sort of like behavioral approach to brands and to branding might look like in your organization. Or if you're curious about like how well you're doing when it comes to some of these things, I actually have like a free diagnostic tool. Um, So like, please feel free to take advantage of that. Like that is, that is there for like, I, it's free because I want as many people as possible who have social impact and, and purpose as their goal to be able to be as effective as possible. So, yeah. We're
0: going back to Hamilton. Get in the room where it happens. I love yes. It. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And uh, that was so much fun and enlightening. And of course, to our listeners, thank you so much for uh, joining us this week. Keep up the great work. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.